0: Let's begin our sermon this morning with prayer. We pray, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, you who are our rock and our redeemer. Please bless our our study of your word this morning. Fill us with a love for you and a desire to show hospitality to our neighbor. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Brothers and sisters in Jesus, Forrest Gump. Uh, Forrest Gump is one of the most famous movies in the world. As of yesterday, Forrest Gump was rated number 12 on the IMDb most top-rated movies of all time. Forrest Gump, number 12. It won, anybody know how many Academy Awards Forrest Gump won? Six six Academy Awards, including the award for Best Picture. So Forrest Gump is this incredibly famous, popular movie, and what is Forrest Gump about? Well, really, it's the story of an outcast. It's the story of a person who is a little bit different. And maybe, if you've seen, I don't know if you've seen the movie Forrest Gump, but maybe you remember, it's not the first scene, I think it's the very next scene, It's this scene where little Forrest gets on the bus for his first day of school. And he's carrying an apple in his hand, and he's got his shirt tucked in, and he's got goofy-looking braces on his legs. And as you start to watch this scene, you somehow begin to know this bus ride is not going to be super fun for Forrest Gump. And it's not. Because what happens in the second scene of this movie is when Forrest Gump gets on that bus, nobody will sit by him. And so he takes that long walk from the front of the bus all the way to the back and then everywhere there's an empty space, a kid like, puts their arm across the seat or moves their backpack and kids will just kind of not make eye contact and look out the window. Or some of the kids even look right at Forrest and they just say, can't sit here, this spot's taken, can't sit here. So Forrest walks all the way to the back of the bus and he has nowhere to sit. And as you watch it, it's really, a, it's really a heartbreaking scene. It's not like Forrest is crying. He's totally confident as a little five-year-old going to school. But it's very heartbreaking to watch this scene. Uh, maybe it even brings tears when you watch it. And the reason for that is because I think deep down, we all know this exact feeling. It is the feeling where you don't belong. Uh, maybe you've felt that feeling if you were ever the new kid at school. It's the first day that you're the new kid at school and you go to the cafeteria, you come in with your little tray full of super delicious school lunch, and then you're looking around, and everybody's already in their little group. Everybody's already in their little table, and you just have nowhere to go. You've never felt so alone. You don't belong. Or maybe you've felt this way if you've ever walked into, so I'm thinking of like a, a bar or maybe like a diner, that's uh, it's very small and it's very cozy and it's the kind of place where you walk in and the bell jingles over your head and then immediately all conversation stops and then the people on the little stools at the counter, they all just kind of turn and look at you. This happened to me once in uh, rural Wisconsin. I stopped at this random bar. I was gonna try to watch a football game and I went in, the thing jingled, everybody turned and looked at me and I just went right back out. <laughs> it's like, I do not belong here, I'm not a local. Um, or maybe you felt this feeling in a church. Have you ever walked into a church for the first time? I have because I did a bunch of church visiting uh, here in Atlanta. But you ever walked into a church for the first time and no one, no one talks to you? Everybody's got their own people. Everybody's got their own spot. People have like their purse and their jacket draped over the seats where they're going to sit. And you're just kind of there and you just sit by yourself and you feel like you don't belong So maybe you can relate to one of these stories. Maybe you have a different story of your own. But I think we all are familiar at times with this same feeling. We instinctively get it when we see Forrest Gump on the bus because the feeling of not belonging is a really bad feeling. In fact, I think it's such a bad feeling that we will do anything to avoid it. And because of our desire to avoid being alone, maybe there's times when you have been on the other side of these situations where a new kid comes into the room a new person comes in the door and and they look so lonely and so awkward but it's so much that you're not willing to kind of leave the comfort of your group and the comfort of your friends because it's almost as though that loneliness and awkwardness is going to rub off on you and it's such a scary thing that feeling of not belonging and so maybe you've had this kind of a moment where you've chosen to take the easy route and just kind of stay with your people because he didn't want to make that awkward move of going by that person who felt so alone. So, human beings are social creatures. And I think, you could talk about this for a long time, but I think that deep down, all of us have a fear of being alone and not belonging. So, the main character in our sermon text today, besides Jesus, of course, the other main character in this particular reading is a man named Matthew. And in his society, he was the one who was alone, and he was the outcast, and the one who did not belong. Uh, But in Matthew's case, it was kind of his own fault, uh, because he had made the decision to be a tax collector. He had made the decision to take on a job where he would be extorting money from his fellow Jews on behalf of the Romans. It was a job where you'd be guaranteed to get pretty wealthy, and it was a job where you'd be guaranteed to be the outcast among your own people. And this is what happened to Matthew. Um, he had lots of money. He, I'm sure he had a nice house. I'm sure he had lots of nice things. But in any gathering of Jewish people, Matthew was absolutely despised and rejected as the weaselly traitor to the Romans. And really, humanly speaking, there was no reason for any of Matthew's fellow Jews to show him any kindness at all. You might say he deserved his social isolation. But that didn't stop Jesus, did it? And so this is what we saw in our sermon text, is Jesus comes walking by Matthew at the tax collection booth, and all his Jewish disciples are walking with him, just kind of glaring at the tax collector like they always do. And Jesus stops. He talks to the hated tax collector. Then he says to him, follow me, and invites the hated tax collector, into the group of his disciples. And then, that night, he goes out to dinner and he has dinner with the hated tax collector and all of his other hated tax collector friends. This is such a surprising thing that Jesus did that when the religious leaders heard about it, they got really, really upset. It says when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But as we read this, isn't this just classic Jesus? Right? You, take, you take a person who is a part of this segment of society that's viewed to be very far from God. Uh, in this case, it's the tax collectors. And while the religious leaders are shunning and avoiding them at all costs, Jesus is doing the exact opposite. He is seeking these people out at all costs. He is making every possible excuse to be around them. And we see Jesus doing this just all the time in his ministry, whether it's tax collectors or prostitutes or foreigners or this woman who was caught in adultery. There's so many different stories throughout Jesus' ministry. He does things like this so consistently that it's clear this is not not like a marketing strategy. Uh, Jesus is not going to leverage this relationship with Matthew to unlock a new demographic that he can market to. This is just Jesus being himself. He's being who he is, loving people, taking time for people, all people, because this is what Jesus does. And it enrages the Pharisees. They say, okay, you're loving people, but why those people? Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus responds, "It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So here was the deal. When Jesus came to somebody, a tax collector like Matthew, for example, when Jesus came to somebody whose whose sin, in this case, was an obvious public thing, Somebody whose sin had not only separated them from God, but it had separated them from other people in their society. Um, When Jesus came to a person like that, the things that so deeply offended their religious leaders were actually the things that drew Jesus in. Things like somebody's loneliness and isolation. Somebody's brokenness and baggage. Things like someone that has a lifetime of guilt. A lifetime of feeling like you don't belong. When the religious leaders were around a person like that, they felt uncomfortable, but Jesus felt compassion. Uh, When the religious leaders were around a person like that, they felt a desire to avoid them at all costs, but Jesus felt a desire to help them at all costs. He says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. So let me ask you this, following Jesus' metaphor. um, How effective would a doctor be, or how effective would a surgeon be, if he was super squeamish at the sight of blood. (laughs) Not very effective. Um, But a good doctor, a good surgeon, looks at a broken leg or a collapsed lung or a hemorrhaging artery or whatever it is, not as something gross or scary, as something to be avoided, but as an opportunity for something to be healed, for something to be fixed, for someone to be helped. And Jesus looks at all sinful human beings in this exact same way. Our sin is a problem, but it's not a problem that repels Jesus. It is a problem that draws Jesus in because he wants to help us and to fix it. And that's what Jesus did, didn't he, for Matthew and for all of us. He healed us. He forgave us. He fixed us. And Jesus did it in this amazingly beautiful way where he he rescued us from the isolation of our sin, our sin which isolates us from God and from each other. Jesus healed us from that by being isolated himself. Think about this. It's, It's Passover day. It's this huge festival. Two million Jewish people are gathered in Jerusalem. They're gathered in homes. They're gathered in banquet halls. They're enjoying this cozy Passover feast in the company of family and friends. While everybody else is doing this, gathered for their meal, what is Jesus doing? On Passover day, Jesus is hanging on a cross outside of the city, rejected and all alone. It's Passover day and two million people across Jerusalem are reading their scriptures and they're saying prayers and they're celebrating with this Passover festival their connection to God. And while that's happening, what is Jesus doing? He's hanging on that cross being separated from God. Remember what Jesus said while he was on the cross? He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's because spiritually, eternally, Jesus was suffering that feeling of not belonging that all of us deserve for our sins. Jesus was suffering hell. So on the cross, Jesus paid the price for all the times that we have shunned people who are different from us, or looked down on people who have public sins even though we have our own private sins, or all the times that we've failed to step in and help people who felt so awkward and alone. On the cross, Jesus stepped in and he paid the price for all of those sins, for all of our sins. And the effect of it is that Jesus was left out so that we get to be included. And this is exactly what happened particularly on the day of our baptism, that God came to us in our spiritual loneliness and he washed our sins away and he wrapped us up in the righteous life that Jesus had lived for us and God accepted us into his family. That's how God has treated us. And of course, it totally affects the way that we treat others. So now we kind of zone in on our sermon theme today which is living a life of hospitality. I want to talk about that word for just a minute. Um, What comes to your mind when you hear that word hospitality? Um, I wonder how many people maybe think of the hospitality industry. Like you're thinking of hotels or restaurants or even theme parks or whatever. But that's not what we're talking about here. Uh, This Bible word, this Greek word in the New Testament for hospitality. Here is the Greek word with English letters, uh, Philozenia. And the reason I share this word is because maybe you recognize the two parts of it. There's really two words here. The first one is phylos. That would be one of the Greek words for love. Philo, like the city of Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, right? So that's one of the words for love. And then xenos is the word for a stranger, um, a foreigner, like xenophobia would be fear of strangers, fear of foreigners, So when the Bible talks about hospitality, it's not talking about like having really good appetizers at your thing that you're hosting. The Bible talking about hospitality is talking about love of strangers. This is what this word means. So you think about that. God wants us to display love for strangers. That means when there's a person who is feeling awkward, alone, isolated, left out, God wants us to have love of strangers and go reach out to that person and include them. That means when we see a person who, how about this, a person who's culturally, politically, ideologically, someone that would be viewed to be on the other side of the fence as whatever we are. right? If we're going to have love of strangers, God wants us to work twice as hard to build a bridge to that person and show them that we love them. Love of strangers would mean that especially when we see a person who is spiritually isolated, Separated from God, separated from other people, maybe because of sinful choices that they have made. God wants our heart to pound with compassion and a desire to share with them the forgiveness that we have found at the cross of Jesus. So, hospitality, a true love for strangers, is a very rare thing in our culture. This is just not the way that people think. But it's, it's the way that God thinks. Remember what God did for us. Romans 5, verse 8 says, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So God sent his son to connect with us when we were not just strangers, but when we were his outright enemies. And God's hospitality then for us, shown in Jesus, motivates our hospitality for other people. And if you want an example of this, you don't have to look any further than the other main character of our story today, which is Matthew. Here was Matthew, a corrupt tax collector, social outcast, a stranger to the love of God. Jesus walks up to him and says, follow me, talks with Matthew, presumably explains to him things about the free forgiveness of sins that Jesus brings to the world. And Matthew is so moved by this that what is the very next thing he does? The very next verse after Jesus calls him? What we see happening is Jesus is having dinner at Matthew's house and many tax collectors and sinners are eating with him and his disciples. So Matthew's immediate response to Jesus' love and hospitality for him is he immediately starts showing love and hospitality for other people, invites all of his friends to come and meet Jesus so they can hear this same forgiveness and love that that Jesus has shared with him. So, imagine uh, what it would look like if we all responded to God's love like Matthew did. Imagine if we looked at each and every person in our society, each and every person in our neighborhood, each and every person we get to interact with during the week, as a person that we could potentially show unexpected love to. As a person we could potentially be so kind to that it might bring tears to their eyes. As a person that we might potentially introduce to their heavenly Father what would it look like? What would it feel like if we treated our neighbors with hospitality like that? At the, begin- at the beginning of our sermon, uh, we talked about that theme or that uh, scene from Forrest Gump, where he takes the long walk through the bus, and nobody's going to give him a seat. Um, this spot's taken, this spot's taken. there's no room for you. you don't belong. Poor little Forrest makes his way all the way to the back of the bus, and. There's nowhere for him to sit. But then, Forrest hears what he describes as the sweetest voice in the wide world. I don't know if you guys are fans of this movie or not, but remember this. This uh, this voice belongs to this sweet little girl named Jenny. And she looks at Forrest, and she just says, you can sit here if you want. And he does. And then Forrest says, I just sat next to her on that bus, and we had a conversation all the way to school. And next to Mama, no one had ever talked to me and asked me questions. It's just this incredibly simple thing, a simple act of kindness, a simple act of hospitality. And in the movie, it turned into a bond, a friendship that would last for a whole lifetime. So this is how hospitality works in our lives, too, is the point of this illustration. It doesn't have to be a big dramatic thing. Like we come home from church, we heard about hospitality, and now I'm going to throw a banquet and invite every person I know and tell them all about Jesus all at once. I mean, if that's what you want to do, feel free. That maybe would be fun. But it can be very normal. It can be very small things. Holding the door for a random person. Um, Letting somebody step in line ahead of you. Sharing a smile or a joke when everything's just a little too serious and nobody is expecting it. Taking the initiative to start a conversation. It can be those tiny little things because you never know who is spiritually lonely. You never know who might be spiritually hungry. You never know who might be spiritually broken and hurting and sad, right? But if you are always showing love to strangers, constantly just reaching out and trying to establish connections with whoever you can, it is amazing, it is astounding how God will use those opportunities and God will use you and give you opportunities to share the peace and comfort, and connection that you have received from Jesus. So, may God grant to each one of us hearts of hospitality, and then lives of hospitality, and the true love of strangers. For Jesus' sake, amen.